Really happy to be home. It's nice to see you. Brother Ted, I'm glad you're here. Really happy. Feel like we're passing the baton, don't you? Passing it on. There's some fine young folks here that are headed out to take our place, and we're thrilled about that. We really are. I'm not going to spend any time reminiscing, but invite your attention to Matthew chapter 6. I feel like the Lord would have me deal with some very basic things this week. And I'm fighting with myself about some things. Matthew chapter 6. We're living in some very interesting times. And God has not been surprised. price of gasoline or diesel or whether there's toilet paper on the rack or not, those things are in God's hands and we don't need to be worried about all of that. Really, I'm serious and I want to talk about that this morning to kind of get us kicked off on this business of faith promise. We'll get around to faith promise at some point, Lord willing, but not today. Matthew chapter 6 verse 25. Hope you'll turn with me. I'll try to be, well, I'm pretty slow anyway, so I'll try to be slow enough that you can get to the references. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What ye shall eat. Or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore? If God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Our Lord's disciples had been called into what we would call full-time service. They were men just like we, no different, varied backgrounds. They were thinking, 
Now, what are we going to do about food and clothing? That's what they were thinking about. And the Lord Jesus said to his disciples four times in Matthew and one time in Luke's gospel, O ye of little faith. He said to them again one time in Mark chapter 4, How is it that you have no faith? So as we can see from our text, the Lord Jesus taught a lesson on this subject that even today is concerning us. Then he added in verse 30, he said, Shall he not much more clothe ye? Clothe you, O ye of little faith. Faith, that's a big word. It's really a big word. He said to them, Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Faith for daily provisions is one of the promises of God to his children. God has promised to take care of you. He has promised that. And I would like to say that when we begin worrying, it is the lack of faith in divine promise. I want you to let that settle in. Now, I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm really not. I, I have the same problem. I have the same difficulty. And I want to admonish us all that we must refuse to doubt God's word. Faith is a choice. I want to press that again. Faith is a choice and it is a discipline. Satan makes us doubt. Our own nature makes us doubt. And the world loves to make us doubt. But here we are, saved, and we have an unseen companion this morning who has made promises to us that he will never break. When we, by faith, reach out into that unseen realm, that unseen dimension, and bring out a miracle, it honors and glorifies him. In John chapter 14, John chapter 14, verse 13, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, I ask myself and I ask you, why do we have such a struggle with this matter of faith? Again, in Matthew 6, verse 30, Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, 
and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Well, I suppose one reason that we struggle with faith is because we want the security of possessions. We want that. I think it's perfectly natural. Yet, as saved people, we are no longer to operate in the natural world like the uh, uh, unsaved world about us. Now, that's the truth. We have faith in the promises of God. It is not that we are to quit our jobs. Now, get this. It is not that we are to quit our jobs and sit down and trust God to feed us. No, no, no. This position is a misapplication of God's word. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 we read, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So, Operating in life, as do the unsaved without faith, or passively sitting and waiting for God to feed you, are both ditches on two sides of the road. Both are wrong. Both positions are wrong. The Apostle Paul made tents to provide for himself and his traveling companions, This does not mean that God did not provide miracles. He certainly did. And if the Lord gives me the opportunity at the end of this, I'd like to talk about one. It does not mean that God does not provide miracles. But God blesses our labor. He throws in enough miracles, I think, to encourage us and to make us know that he's right there with us. It is perfectly natural for us to want the security of possessions. God provided riches for Abraham, for Isaac, for Jacob. David was a rich man. These men that I've just mentioned were rich. They were rich people. And yet, they were a man after God's own heart. But these men were men of faith, and there's that word again. They did not find their security in the things of this life, though they had them. They had them. You say, yeah, well, that's easy enough to talk about when your pocket's full of money. What about Job? He lost everything. He certainly lost his wealth. But he never lost his faith in God. It is not wrong to have possessions. Not at all. It is wrong to trust them. Enjoy what God gives you. Be faithful to tithe your income to your local church. And then be faithful to be involved in world missions. Um, You can trust God. To take care of you if you're giving. You can trust God. It's kind of like planting seed. It'll grow a crop. And you always get more than you sow. This is a promise. Second Corinthians. Chapter 9. 
and verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. I quote the verses again, the verse in Matthew 6, verse 30. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Why is it that we struggle with this business of faith? I think secondly, because we do not see God involved in nature. We let it breeze by us. We don't pay attention. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, we read, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Jesus said, Behold the fowls of the air. Wow. How many of you have ever seen a bird walking behind a plow? How many of you have seen a bird laying out rows? Are you following me? The Bible says they sow not. And he is doing what he's supposed to do. God is doing what he promised at this very moment. God is involved in the whole world system. We like to attribute the fact that the devil is the God of this world, and that's certainly true. But it doesn't mean that God is divorced from it. He knows it, and he knows what's going on, and nothing has slipped his attention He uses the word there, feedeth. It's an interesting word. It's a continuous present tense verb in the English. God is involved in the whole world system. Everybody's worried about ecology. I want to remind you that God is the creator of this world. He is in charge. Now, God is the uncreated creator. Now, that will disappoint some groups, but he is the uncreated creator. He has always been, and he is the only God. He is the creator, and he is the sustainer of the universe, including the little things that Jesus is talking about in this passage. Turn with me, please, to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1. And I'd like to begin reading at verse 15. Talking about the Lord Jesus. 
who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. That word consist is interesting. And to put it down in very simple terms, it means that Jesus as God made all things and he holds them together. God is active in nature. There is no need for us to be concerned or worried about our food or our raiment. He takes care of all his creation and he'll certainly provide for us. Now I want you to go in your mind's eye and take a gander at nature. This is all the security that we should have. As we live our lives on this earth, we should be able to look outside our window and see that God is moving and God is doing things. We are not to look for an inheritance. Not an inheritance of land or riches while we are living here on this little ball of earth. We as New Testament believers are called believer priests. And the Lord Jesus Christ is our inheritance. He is our inheritance. We have no earthly inheritance. We are a heavenly people. And the Bible describes us as being pilgrims in this world. I would read quickly to you the book of Numbers, the book of Hebrews, 1 Peter, a couple of verses. In Numbers 18, verse 20, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Thou shalt have no inheritance in their land, neither shalt thou have any part among them. I am thy part and thine inheritance among the children of Israel. In Hebrews chapter 11, to bring it into the New Testament, we read in verse 13, These all died in faith. Wow, there's that word. These all died in faith. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 2 verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, Abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. Friends, we are strangers and we're pilgrims in this world. The Lord is our inheritance. And he has committed himself to take care of us. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye, 
clothe you, O ye of little faith. Let me, let me just describe to you for a moment how faith works. If you'd like to, follow me in Hebrews 11, and I'll just pick out the verses 17, 18, and 19. Hebrews 11 and verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. I am staggered by that verse. It says of whom, and let me interject here. Uh, I went home last night and read a couple of chapters of your second book, uh, Sister Mullins. And in there you made a statement that is so true. It is not the sacrifice of things that causes the tears to flow in a missionary's face of his eyes it is giving up your children leaving them behind in another place and going around the world that hurts that really hurts now I want to go back and read this with that in mind by faith Abraham when he was tried offered up Isaac and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able, praise God, God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. When God told Abraham to take Isaac and offer him on one of the mountains of Moriah, he took Isaac, put him on the altar, And would have sacrificed him, would have driven a knife into him, knowing that if he did, God would certainly, most certainly, raise him from the dead. No doubt. Why would he believe such a thing? Why would this man believe such a thing? We read in Genesis 21 and verse 12. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, that's Ishmael, and because of thy bondwoman, Hagar. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac, for in Isaac, his only begotten son, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And at the time of this sacrifice, that was not a fact. This is astounding faith and as far as I'm concerned. But I want to say to you that God is not a risk. God is not a risk. So as we brag about Abraham's faith, we must glorify God that he is so faithful to his promises even today. Abraham's God is our God. And he has made us some promises. The Lord Jesus says that you and I are important. He thinks we are important. 
Now that's amazing, don't you think? In fact, he says we are more important than the creation. We are more important than the birds. We are more important than the grass on the field or the flowers or the fruit trees. We are more important to him than all these wonderful things. They grow with no effort. It is God's continuous exercise of power that brings the flowers and the beautiful buds on the trees in springtime. Where is God? Look outside. Now, I want to say quickly, nature is not God. But God is the creator and he is the sustainer of nature. If God took his hand off of things today, it would all fly apart. There'd be death everywhere and destruction everywhere if he just removed his word for a moment. The next time you get into trouble, take a gander outside your window and see what God is doing right in front of your eyes. Then get on your knees. And realize that he is in the neighborhood. Just remember this. Jesus says that we are more important than the fowls of the air. We are more important than the lilies of the field. If God takes care of them, he'll take care of you. So stop worrying and start trusting. Now I'd like to close with an illustration. 1978, my wife Linda and I and three little hungry youngins took off an old broke-down car and a borrowed pop-up tent that we drug behind that old broke-down car. I didn't own a camper. I didn't own anything. Somebody gave me a bumper hitch put on it, on the car. And we lived in that stupid old camper, that old tent, for six months. And then God gifted us an old red school bus. We couldn't keep engines in it. We couldn't keep brakes on it. It flew apart. It looked like Jed Clampett coming down the highway. It was a bright red thing, ugly. had a big sign on the back of it that said, The Griggers Family Missionaries to Liechtenstein, you must be born again. And, there was a tra- and it had a 55-gallon barrel drum on the back for water. It was nasty, really nasty. Inside there was a double bed in the back, a little partition. There was a little crib built over the wheel well, and there were two bunk beds. We didn't have the money to buy mattresses, so the young'uns slept on the... On, it, was, it was completely carpeted inside with the ugliest shag carpet you've ever seen. And we had a little sink to wash dishes in. And if you crowded in there, you could get four people at the dining table. We had a chandelier. (laughs) And we were broke. I'm talking about broke. We had a $5 bill in my pocket. And we had to stay in a campground, State Park, north of Birmingham. It was a, I think it was a Wednesday. We did not have a meeting. And we spent that $5 renting the parking space. So we had no money for food. We had no checking account. 
We had nothing. Had nothing. I'm talk- when I say $5, that's what we had. That was it. And my youngest boy, the baby, was sick. And he'd been hacking and wheezing for a couple of days. The Lord woke me up early in the morning and said, you've got to get him to a doctor. Now, I hope things have changed since then, but in those days, the missionary was not supposed to show up at the next church early. It just wasn't done. And all I could think of was, I've just got to go and humble myself to this pastor at this next church. It was near Huntsville, Alabama. And so we paid that $5 and we took off. Just a big cloud of smoke behind that old red bus. We had a CB radio in there. They still have those things, CB radio. Breaker 1-9, Breaker 1-9. And we're zipping down the highway doing a, a bold 50 mile an hour. Smoke going everywhere. All we needed was a blue tick hound on the back porch. And, uh, and I'm, I'm really concerned about my boy. And Chris, was my oldest boy, was back playing on the bed. And he said, Daddy, there's a big 18-wheeler on your bumper back here. Well, I'd seen him. He said, I think he's wanting to talk to you on the radio. So I switched that thing on, hollered at him, and he hollered back at me, and he said, "Uh, do you really believe that sign on your truck? You must be born again. And I said, yes, I do. And he said, why? I said, because you must be born again. And he said, well, I am born again. I'm a young Christian. And I've been on the road for a number of weeks, and I'm just needing fellowship. Would you please, just up the, up the way, you'll cross, over, you'll cross over the Tennessee, I believe it's Tennessee River, I'm not sure. He said, when you get across that, I want you to stop at that truck stop up there, and I'd like to buy you a hamburger, you and your family a hamburger. Well, I didn't want to stop. Honest truth is, I, I did everything but lie to him. To get out of stopping, I, I felt we needed to get this baby to a doctor. And I didn't know what else to do. And so I told Linda, you know, put a spit bath on the young'uns real quick. Y'all know what that is, don't you? <laughs> and I said, now, when you go in that truck stop with him, do not even look at a Coca-Cola or a French fry or a hamburger. Don't even look at it. So we all went in and sat down. This truck driver, beautiful, Peterbilt, white, no markings on it whatsoever. And I'll tell you that the rest of the story another time, but we went in. He got him a big hamburger and a big plate of fries, and I'm telling you, I slobbered all over myself. He went and bought something for the kids and Linda, and I starved, too proud. We had the meal. We prayed with him in that truck stop. And I said, we've got to get down the road. We did not mention that the baby was that sick, that we were concerned. So we 
went out to the school bus, had a padlock on it. You know, the old doors like that had a padlock on that thing. Unlocked it. I climbed up in the driver's seat like I was a big truck driver. And he said, do you mind if I come in and look at it? Well, he came in and was, wow, look at all this nice carpet. Yeah. Yeah. He said, he said, do you mind if I take Chris with me over to the truck? I, he said, I've got a truckload of paper and pencils, and I'd like to give the kids something they can draw with. And Okay. So Chris went with him over there, and I'm just chomping at the bit to get on the road. He want, comes back with Chris. Chris is loaded down with all that stuff and gets in the truck. And he hands me a $10 bill and a $5 bill. $15. That wasn't much money in those days, but for us it was like a it, it, just unbelievable amount of money. And I tried to turn it down. No, sir. Thank you. No, sir. Thank you. He said, listen to me. I did not stop you to buy you a hamburger. God told me to give you $15. So I took the $15, the man drove off. I've never seen him again to my knowledge. Although he accepted my letters for probably 20-something years. We drove on to our next church. The pastor was kind enough to let us park there. And he was kind enough to find a doctor in Decatur, Alabama. And do you know who? That doctor's secretary, uh, his uh, nurse, the one that working with him in, the, in that little office there, was from the Principality of Liechtenstein, had been saved. Daniel was a baby, just a lap baby. And the doctor said he's got bad pneumonia. If you had not have brought him, he'd died. He's got to have help. Now, he went into his cabinet, pulled out all kinds of medicines, and gave them to us. I went outside. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was going to ask the secretary to let me get a bill. I didn't know how to pay the bill. I was expecting a couple hundred bucks. The secretary gave me a little piece of paper, and it said, Fifteen dollars. Fifteen dollars. I don't know what that does for you, but that turns my bucket over. And every missionary that's been there for a while knows what I'm talking about. God knows how to take care of us. If he'll take care of birds, he'll take care of you. So you remember that when you're praying about what you're going to do for missions this year. Just remember, God knows where you are and what you need. And just honor him. May I have a word of prayer with you? Would you stand with me? God knows what he's doing. Our Father, I want to thank you so much for allowing me to be home. I want to thank you 
for this fine church. And I thank you for my pastor. And I thank you for my friend in the ministry, Brother Mullins, and his wife. And I thank you for the new ones. And I thank you for what you're doing in this place right now. I ask Heavenly Father to bless. Have your way. Do that in our hearts, which we cannot do. And help us, Lord, to look to you. In Jesus' name, amen.